following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. So 2 Peter chapter 2 today, and we're going to finish out a chapter, uh, finish this chapter out uh, this morning, and so uh, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 22, and, and so remember that in context... Uh, Peter here has, has spent the entire chapter talking about the false teachers and talking about the threat that they pose. And so he is speaking further about them here uh, as we pick up in verse 17. He says of the false teachers, These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. <clears throat> Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but uh, back in 2006, uh, I was just starting in my position as, as youth director at the church in Michigan. And, um, and, and so my first week on the job, we brought a group of teenagers out here to Apple Valley and, and we spent a week putting up door hangers and letting people know that uh, LifePoint had started up. And so we worked hard all week. We were here in the middle of July and the kids were just walking the streets and in a hot, hot uh, heat. And, um, and so they worked hard and at the end of the week, we were going to give them you know, a reward and do something fun. And so uh, the guy that I was replacing... Uh, Andrew had, had already worked that out with them. And so uh, the girls, you know, since, since we were all Michiganders and we were visiting SoCal, the thing that they wanted to do above everything else is they wanted to go see Hollywood Boulevard. You know, and so they had seen all the glitz and the glamour of the Oscars on TV and, and it looked pretty exciting and pretty incredible. And so, so they wanted to go see all of that. And so we drove down there and, and we got down there and my, were we disappointed. I mean, it was a whole lot smaller, a whole lot less impressive, kind of smelled, it was crowded. It wasn't nearly as great as it looks if you tune in to the Oscars. And, and probably all of us have had those kinds of experiences with, with maybe, you know, maybe it's a place that you want to go, some destination. You see this advertisement and, and it looks incredible and you get there and you're like, that's it? Or maybe it's an ad on TV for, for just some product or a food, and, and it's not nearly what you expect it to be. And, uh, and, 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 but, and similarly, uh, our passage for today tells us that heresy and heretical teachers are doomed for the same kind of disappointment. You know, and, and we see that. There, there's guys that get on TV, there's, there's people that sell books in the Christian bookstores, and, and we look at it and it looks so impressive. They've got slick advertisements. They look slick themselves because they are slick. And, um, 
And sometimes they, they, they make their message look so good, but their, but their teaching never satisfies the heart the way Christ does. Nothing can satisfy like Him. And of course, the same is true of every temptation that Satan puts in front of us. He never quite delivers on everything that he promises. And Peter's going to warn us in this passage that he doesn't just disappoint, he actually destroys our faith and our freedom in Christ. And oftentimes he leads people down a path that ends in the destruction of God. And, and so as we reflect today on, on that, of course that's negative, right? It's not the most positive message in the world. But as we reflect on this warning that Peter's going to give, I hope that not only will we see the negativity, but we will also use it as an opportunity to reflect on, on the goodness of the gospel and the fact that our God is faithful and good. And so I pray that we will be driven away from false teaching and the fleshly temptations that are in front of us and that we will be attracted to Christ and that we will hold fast to His truth because God alone satisfies and God alone keeps His every promise. So, so with that in mind, notice in verses 17 through 19 that false doctrine delivers empty promises. False doctrine delivers empty promises. So right off the bat, in verse 17, uh, Peter describes these false teachers as wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest. So, so when you think of that first statement, wells without water, imagine some guy who is hiking across the desert. He's out of water. He's, he's thirsty, he's getting desperate, and off on the horizon, he sees a well, and, and so he gets so excited, he begins running towards this well, and, and he's thinking about how he's going to drink water until he's sick, and how he's going to you know, dump it on his head and, and get so much refreshment, and he gets to the well, and he peers over the edge, and it's dry. There's so much promise that seemed to be there, but in the end, it disappoints. And then the second illustration he uses is clouds carried along by a tempest. And, and when I read that, you know, I think of how so often we will see clouds build on, on the mountains to, the, to our south. And, and if you see clouds like that in the Midwest, you know you're about to get dumped on. Well, but so often those clouds build and then the dry desert winds just break them apart and nothing happens at all. And what appeared to have so much promise ends up turning out to be nothing. And Peter's point with both of these illustrations is that false doctrine and false teachers bring similar disappointment. They promise so much and they deliver so little. So, so how do they succeed? How, how do they gain an audience? Well, verses 18 and 19 describe three ways that false teachers deceive people into believing their empty promises. So first of all, he says in verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Now, how many of you have ever hit your thumb with a hammer? You know, you hit your thumb or, or maybe some other, you know, piece of your body and, and, and it swells up like a sausage. You know, but when your thumb swells up like a sausage, it's not actually that you've grown like all these extra muscles in your thumb and you've got this robust, powerful thumb. It's just fluid. It, it's all a, a lie. And, uh, and that's how Peter describes the false teachers. They talk big. They speak with incredible confidence. And people hear them speak and, and they think, well, that sounds really impressive. That sounds really good. 
And, and, and that guy sounds really convinced that, that it's true. And so, so how could someone who is so confident and, and has so much conviction possibly be wrong? And it's very sad how many people are deceived simply because some guy is confident and strong when he's not speaking any truth at all. But Peter here notes that underneath these great swelling words it is just emptiness. None of it is true. And so no matter how appealing their message may have sounded, no matter how good it may have looked on TV, so to speak, it was just a bunch of emptiness that couldn't bring any spiritual life or any eternal good. And so, so I want to challenge us today that no matter how appealing something may sound, no matter how attractive a, a message may be, don't let yourself be baited by impressive talk, you know, loud, uh, loud confidence, or, or impressive uh, philosophical language. Be discerning and stay anchored to this word. Because this is truth. And then a second hook that Peter mentions that the false teachers use is, is he goes on in verse 18 to say that they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Now, now here, the, the verb allure is the same verb that Peter used uh, back, in, uh, back in verse 14. And, and we talked last week about how this verb is a verb that comes from the world of hunting and fishing. So, so you can think here, this allure, you know, think of a, of a fat, juicy worm. You know, that a fisherman dangles down in the water and that fish sees that worm and he thinks, wow, that looks so good. But what the fish can't see is that buried in that worm is a hook that is going to lead to his death. And so the fish is baited by that worm. And here, the bait that the false teachers use is specifically sexual perversion. So he mentions there that they use the lusts of the flesh. And he mentions lewdness. And of course, we talked last week about the perversion of these false teachers. And and that word lewdness is a word that actually Peter already used in verse 7 to describe the perversion of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. So these guys were living along the same vein as the people that were banging on Lot's door, demanding that he bring the angels out to them. It's a vile, vile idea. You know, but as disgusting as all of it is, lust and other sexual temptations clearly have an appeal, don't they? I mean, you look around at advertisements. How many advertisements? You know, the, uh, uh, the Super Bowl is coming on this afternoon. How many advertisements in the Super Bowl are, are, are going to be built around sexual desire, sexual temptation? And, and lots of people will flock, and, and, and it works not just for advertisements, it works for false teaching. You know, so lots of people will flock to a teacher who, who promises them that they can be spiritual while also doing whatever they want. But who doesn't want to have their cake and eat it too? We all do. And sadly, so sadly, many leaders have gained a following by being loose with, with, the, with the demands of holiness that Scripture teaches. And sadly, that's oftentimes even true of, of popular evangelical leaders. You know, they're not heretics, they believe the gospel and, and they're faithful to the core message of Scripture, but they gain popularity by downplaying the demands of God in our life. You know, for example, probably 
uh, about 15 years ago. Uh, Mark Driscoll exploded on the scene, became very popular. And, and one of the primary reasons he became popular very fast is because he was willing to use crass and crude humor from the pulpit. Crass language. And, and people thought it was kind of interesting to hear a pastor talk that way. It was appealing in a twisted sort of sense. Another guy about 10 years ago, Tulian Chavidian, uh, sold a lot of books by teaching that any effort towards holiness is necessarily legalistic and hypocritical. And so people were glad to, to dismiss conviction and, and, and challenges about obedience from, the, from their lives and, and to just follow their heart and, and do what they wanted to do. Now folks, we all like someone that tells us we can do what we want, right? That's why, you know, maybe you're not this way, that's why a lot of kids like to go to grandma's house. Because grandma doesn't hold them accountable like mom does. And so we all like that. And of course, Satan recognizes that he has plenty of other ways to dangle lust in, in front of our eyes. And it's startling how much damage he can do year after year to marriages, to families, to people's spiritual health with sexual temptation. And I don't care how appetizing the bait may seem to be, always remember that there is a hook buried underneath. There is always a hook. So resist and do not be fooled. And then verse 19 mentions a third hook that the false teachers used. It says, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. So, so they promised freedom. And the freedom here uh, was almost certainly related to sexual promiscuity and, and, and all sorts of other you know, uh, biblical behaviors that the Scriptures say we, we need to do. And, and they were saying, you don't need to do any of it. You know, they told people, you can be your own master. You can do what, whatever your heart desires. You, know, you don't need to worry about all those biblical commands and, and all that fuddy-duddy conviction stuff. Just relax. Be free. Have fun. And do it in the name of Jesus. And, and that message, of course, has been popular in, in every age. Now, now, I do want to say as well that, that, that legalism is real and it's a problem when, when people uh, seek to, to earn favor with God and, and merit in His presence by, by the things that they do. But, but this passage here focuses specifically on the fact that, that so many people want to just simply dismiss holiness altogether. You know, they, 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 they want to just love Jesus, follow their heart. And, and, and we can think sometimes that godliness can take whatever shape I want it to take. Whereas the Scriptures are clear that holiness is defined by the nature of God. And it sounds great. Because again, who doesn't want to stop struggling against the flesh and, and do what they want? But Peter notes that there is a hook buried in this juicy worm of supposed freedom. And what is that hook? Well, he says here, they promise them liberty while they themselves are slaves of corruption. So, so these guys claim to be free, but Peter says they are actually slaves. And, and I think Thomas Schreiner nails it when he says of these false teachers, people who cannot look at a woman without contemplating adultery and have hearts exercised and trained in greed are truly slaves. And we see that all the time, don't we? And to some extent, we've probably all seen that in our own hearts. That, that, that so often, 
You know, we, we look at sin. And chasing our sinful passions can seem very exhilarating, very exciting in the moment. But it doesn't produce lasting joy. It doesn't satisfy the heart. And, uh, and, and when you chase your passion long enough, when you chase sin long enough, ultimately it begins to take control in a way that you didn't want it to take control. And how many people... Um, are, 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 are slaves to lust. Slaves to alcohol and drugs and, and all sorts of other things. And, and sin begins to control and it always steals more joy than it produces. You know, just as an example, I, I can guarantee that, that a healthy marriage will bring someone far more joy than a sexual fling. And, and yet, how often do men and women sacrifice a healthy, wonderful home to chase some momentary pleasure. It's absurd, but it happens over and over and over. And the same goes for, for alcohol and, and drug abuse and, and every other sinful habit. They, they, they look so appealing at the beginning, but they always bring more misery than they do joy. So, so why is the promise of freedom that undergirds so much false teaching just a ruse. I mean, why can't I, I just do what I want and be free? Well, we'll notice the proverbial statement that ends verse 19. Peter says, For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And the basic point there is that no one is really free. No one really is their own master. No matter how much they might like to think that they are. So, so Romans 6 verse 16 says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So everyone on earth is either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. There's no middle ground. And the only question is, will your slavery lead to joy in the Lord and His eternal reward? Or will it lead to death and emptiness? And maybe there's someone here today you know, that you've known the Gospel your whole life. Or for at least a long period of time. And you know it, you understand it. But you're really hesitant to receive Christ as Savior because you don't want Christ to control you. You want to be able to do your own thing and, and you're scared of the demands on your life that God is going to require. You want to be your own master. And I hope that you'll see today that you might think that you're free, but you're not. Jesus said in John 8, verse 34, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So, so you might think that you are doing your own thing and, and making your own decisions, but sin and self are blinding you to a better joy and, and to God's eternal reward. And, and so it's not worth it. Come to Christ and repent. Now, Jesus promised in, in, in a couple of verses later, John 8, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So the only real freedom is found in Christ. It is not found in chasing your own way. So, so come to Christ and be saved. And, and, and if you are saved, 
I hope that we'll be reminded today to hold fast to Christ and to the wisdom of God's Word. Because yes, Satan is very good at putting things in front of our eyes, dangling temptations in front of us. And may we never forget that the freedom in Christ is far superior than slavery to sin. And in particular, I challenge those of us who are saved to, 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 to not try to toe the line, right? Because, because all of us at times are tempted to, to try and you know, hold on to Jesus, but hold on to as much of the world as we possibly can. No, instead, pursue spiritual health and maturity. Because the best defense against false doctrine, the best defense against Satan's lies is a growing faith. So, so notice um, in verse 18 uh, that, that the, verse, the end of the verse says that the false teachers, it says uh, that, that they prey on the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And, and there's a textual variant there uh, related to the verb actually escaped. And, and, I, and based on the context, I think uh, the, the reading that makes more sense is, is in the footnote to the New King James. And it says there, they prey on those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So it's not that they prey on the mature and the strong. It's that they prey on those who have barely escaped or, or really, literally, are barely escaping. They prey on young believers or immature believers who, who are not strong in Christ. So, so just like a pack of wolves, when they approach a herd of, of elk or a herd of buffalo, I mean, they don't attack the biggest, strongest, fastest buffalo. They pick out a calf. Or they pick out one that is injured. And they try and separate it from the herd. And they pounce on it. And that's exactly what the false teachers were doing. They picked out the vulnerable members of the church who were not grounded in the faith or, or, or who were spiritually weak. And those are the ones that they brought their lies to and tried to deceive. So, so, so what's the answer? Well, don't be content to remain a spiritual infant. Grow a strong biblical and theological foundation and, and walk in Christ every day. Because the healthier and the stronger that you are, the less vulnerable you will be to Satan's attacks. I think we all understand that, right? When your faith is strong, you're growing in the Lord, Satan dangles all that stuff in front of your eyes and, and you hardly even notice it. Because you're satisfied in the Lord. But when you're struggling, you know, you're really not walking with Christ like you should and, and, and your mind is, is in other places, you're tired, you're, you're not practicing good spiritual discipline, all of a sudden, all those things that Satan hangs, they catch your eye a whole lot more clearly. So walk in Christ and be healthy because, because the best defense, the spiritual help, health is a good offense. So in some, the false teachers promise so much but it all proved to be nothing more than a dry well and an empty cloud. And even worse, it led to slavery and destruction. So, so Peter says here very clearly that false teaching has the potential to bring terrible damage to God's church. And as a result, notice that the ominous warning at the end of verse 17, he says, for whom, speaking of the false teachers, is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Peter says, God is going to judge these guys for the destruction and the damage that they are doing to God's people. They will be condemned to the darkest pit of hell. 
And then he builds on that. He develops that reality in the remaining three verses. So, so verses 17 through 19 tell us that, that false teachers deliver empty promises. And then secondly, verses 20 through 22 tell us that false doctrine produces divine judgment. False doctrine produces divine judgment. So, so let's reread verses 20 through 22. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now now this is one of those passages that is is a little bit difficult to wrap our minds around because it's one of those passages where, where God's sovereign divine promises seems to come into conflict with human responsibility and our limited knowledge of God's will. And specifically, that conflict comes up because Peter uses a lot of language here that is normally reserved for genuine believers. And in fact, uh, his descriptions in verse 20 are, 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 uh, are largely word-for-word reflections of what he said back in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, about genuine Christians. So he says there in verse 20 of the false teachers that they have escaped the pollutions of the world. And Paul says something, or excuse me, Peter says something very similar in, in chapter 1, verse 4. And he says they escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And chapter 1, verse 3 says that we are saved through the knowledge of Christ. And not only that, verse 21 says that they had known the way of righteousness. And, and the way is a common a New Testament description of the gospel. So he says they had known the way at one point. So, so, so the point here is that these false teachers were, were not guys you know, that, that had their like devil suits on and walked around clearly saying, we are opposed to God. No, at one point they had made professions of faith. They appeared to be genuine believers. They had probably participated in the life of the church. However, they had since dramatically shifted course. Verse 20 says that they had become entangled in the pollutions of the world. And not just that, worldly pollution had overcome them. And the idea behind that verb is that it had defeated them. So so we're not talking here about minor spiritual setbacks. No, we're talking about, about these guys turning their backs on the way of Christ, on the truth of Scripture. So, so they had rejected, uh, verse 21 says, that they have, have, have known the way of righteousness, but now they have turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. So, so, so again, it's, it's, they had rejected the very core of what it means to be a Christian, both theologically and practically. And, and I do want to emphasize that, because, because for some of you, you read a passage like this, and, and you always immediately jump to every little sin problem in your heart. Like, well... I've got this, and I'm not perfect over here, and I struggle with this little issue over here. And, and so we read a passage like this, and we begin, immediately begin to wonder, what if this is me? What if I'm this person that, 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 that Peter is describing that's about to be judged by God? And, and, 
And, and, I, and I like how Doug Moo, or what Doug Moo says in his commentary about this passage for, for the sensitive believer. He says, the very fact that someone is worried about having committed the unpardonable sin shows that he or she has not. Such concern and desire to believe suggests that the Holy Spirit, far from abandoning this person, is still at work in his or her life. I think that's really good. So, so when you read through this passage, or a passage like this that, that talks about turning away from Christ and, and judgment, if your immediate response is, Lord, please don't let that be me. Keep me faithful to your truth. Help me to change. Well, that's a good sign the Holy Spirit's in you. And you're, you're fine. So, so, so that's true. But, 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 but the false teachers... You know, so, so conviction is solid evidence that you are in Christ. But Peter's pretty clear. These false teachers had no such conviction. Instead, they boasted in their sin. And as a result, notice the grave warning that ends verse 20. He says, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, now what does that mean? Well, well, think about the progression of these guys' lives. At one point, they had been pagans who, who had no knowledge of Christ. Then they professed faith in Christ, seemed to be saved, and then they turned away from Him. So, so the latter end is very clearly the judgment that they face as people who have apostatized, who have turned away from Christ. The beginning is very clearly the judgment they would have faced as pagans who had no knowledge of the gospel. So Peter says that the latter end, the judgment they now face, is worse than the judgment that, that, the, that the ignorant pagan faces. And verse 21 confirms that that's exactly what Peter means. Because notice what it says. He says it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So, so I don't think there's any way you can read that verse and, and think, that, that the judgment, that, that they're merely going to lose out on some rewards. Because the worst seat in heaven is infinitely better than the best seat in hell, right? Like, I don't care, you know, if you're, you know, you're sitting at the end of the table in heaven. You're still in heaven. So, so he says here that, that, that the latter end, it would, better, it would have been better for them never to have come close to the gospel and to the blessings of the gospel than to receive all that, hear all that, and then turn away from Christ. I mean, this is a grave, grave verse. Now, Peter is saying that those who know the truth have a greater responsibility, and if someone knows the gospel and comes near to the blessings of the gospel and rejects it, they will face a worse judgment in hell than the ignorant pagan who knew nothing of the ways of Christ. So, so the question then is, is Peter saying these guys lost their salvation? Because it certainly seems to sound that way. Well, well we know that can't be what Peter means because we already, he already said that to us earlier in the chapter. So remember, in the middle of the chapter, we looked at all the examples of, of Noah and of Lot and of Sodom and, and the people of Noah's generation. And notice the promise that, that Peter gives in verse 9. He says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. So God is clear that He will keep the elect. He will not let any of His children go. Now Jesus said, My sheep hear My voice and they follow Me. 
and I will lose none of them. So, so there is no possibility that a genuine believer can lose his salvation. So because of that, we have to understand all this language in verse 20 about conversion and, and so forth as coming from a human perspective. So, so we've been there. Probably if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've been there where, where, where you meet someone or maybe someone grows up in the church and, and as a child or, or early on, they show evidence of, of being genuinely saved and converted. But then over time, they fall away. And, and they don't just struggle. They, they turn their back on Christ. They, they reject His Word. They reject His commands. They want nothing to do with Him. And, and, and they prove in the end not to be genuine believers. And, and therefore, we have... So, so the point is, is that, that looks can be deceiving. And, and we saw that a few weeks ago in the example of Lot. So, so Lot... If you saw Lot living in Sodom, you would have never thought he was a genuine believer. But we learned that he was. That God was at work in his heart in a way that wasn't apparent to others. And on the negative side, the false teachers had looked like genuine believers. But ultimately, through their conduct and through their speech, it became clear that they were false. It was an outward show that was not reflected in the heart. So it's not that they lost their salvation. It's that they were never truly saved. And in time, their true nature came out. And, and Peter confirms for us that this is exactly what he means with verse 22. So verse 22 says, It has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, now this is a great verse. This is a great junior high verse. All right, so, so junior high boys love this kind of verse. It's a disgusting verse, right? That's why junior hires like it. So, so he gives two proverbs here uh, that make the same exact point. So, so the first proverb uh, there says that, that it has happened to them as a dog returns to his own vomit. Now, now, vomit is obviously gross, right? I mean, no one enjoys vomit. It stinks, it smells. And if you're a parent, you've probably had you know, one of your kids on your shoulder and they throw up all over you or... Or, you know, it happened to me about a year ago, uh, I could tell it was coming and I just instinctually dropped my kid on the floor, you know, and, and so, you know, vomit's gross. We don't like it, we want nothing to do with it. Well, well, the reality is, is that dogs have a very different response. They throw up, and rather than being repulsed by it, they want to eat it. We're like, what in the world is wrong with them? It's gross. And the second proverb is similarly gross. He says, uh, it's just like a sow having washed to her returns to her wallowing in the mire. And, and I have a lot of experience with this having grown up on the farm in the Midwest. And so, you know, in the summertime, uh, it, it'd be hot and humid. We'd get these, these thunderstorms that would come through and, and the hog lots are just filled with mud and muck. And, and the pigs, you know, it's hot and, and it stinks there's flies everywhere, that heat and humidity, it just reeks. And do the pigs want to get away from it? No. They lay down, you know, they rub their backs in it, they roll around, they stick their little noses out of the air so they can breathe, and they just sit in their own muck, their own poop, and just love it. It's disgusting. I mean, you would never do that. So, so the question is, is why, why do they do that? Why do dogs eat their vomit? And why do pigs lay in their own manure? 
Well, the simple answer is, is it's their nature to do so. I mean, no one's making them do these things. It's how they're wired to behave. And Peter's point is that when the false teachers return to all their ungodly practices of their pre-conversion state, it was not that they lost their salvation. It was not that, that someone forced them to do this. No, their true nature came out. So they may have been cleaned up for a time. You know, when, when we take our pigs to the 4-H fair, you can wash a hog and, and make it look as clean and beautiful as a hog can look. But if you washing a pig does not turn a pig into a cat. It's still a pig. And if he sees a, a mud puddle on a hot afternoon, he is going to get in that puddle as fast as he possibly can. Because that's what pigs do. That's their nature. And similarly, the false teachers had cleaned up the outside for a time. But their hearts were never transformed. And in time, that became apparent through their rebellion and their sensuality. So Peter closes this chapter with a damning indictment on these guys. Their conduct proved that they had never really been saved. And therefore, notice again the warning of verse 21. He says it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But he warns that they will face a severe judgment for their sin, and not just their sin, but for the destruction that they had done to other people. So, so yes, these guys could put on quite the sales presentation. They looked exciting and impressive. Their style of Christianity might have sounded sensible and appealing, but the end was the most severe judgment in, in the most severe form of God's condemnation. So, so what does all of this mean for us? Well, well, two applications to close out today. First and foremost, it means that you need to be very careful that you are not deceived by Satan's devices. As sin enslaves, and it blinds us to, to God's truth, and it always lead, and it leads to judgment in the next. So, so when Satan hangs that bait in front of you, you know, no, no matter what immediate pleasure it may offer, no matter what promises Satan may make, understand that there is always a hook buried in his temptation. And that hook is never for your good. It is always towards destruction and death. So don't take the bait. Remember that every lie of Satan, every representative of Satan, is just a dry well and an empty cloud. No matter how good it looks on the outside. And as a result, a second important application is, is on the positive side, hold fast to the Gospel. And seek your satisfaction and your joy in Christ. You know, I mean, don't waste your time seeking joy in, in every other thing of this world. No, rest in Christ. You know, I pray that, that all of us would, would, would seek to, to enjoy the experience of, of Psalm 73, verse 25, that says, Whom have I in heaven but you? May, may this be the prayer, may this be the, the passion of our heart. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart 
and my portion forever. And folks, that's where we want to be. That's where there is joy. That's where there's satisfaction. And that's where there is hope. Because it's not an empty promise. It's truth. And it comes with with the sovereign hand of God. And so that means that if you're going to be satisfied in the Lord, then you need to go after Him with with all of your heart. Spend time in His Word. Live at the feet of Christ in prayer. Obey His commands. Participate in the life of the church. Live all of life in conscious awareness of the presence of God and in dependence on Him. Dependence on the Gospel. And praise the Lord that, that when we do so, we can do so knowing that God will be faithful to His every promise. He will be faithful. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. I mean, yes, we are surrounded by wolves. But with Christ at our side, we, have, we face no threat. So walk in Him and trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the, the warning of this passage Lord, sometimes uh, love does not mean telling us what we want to hear. Sometimes love means telling us the things that we need to hear. And and that's certainly the case with this passage. So Father, I just pray today that You would press it deep into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that You would protect us and guard us. Uh, Father, I pray that, that we would that You would protect everyone of every every member of this church. That, Lord, we would not be, uh, become susceptible to Satan's devices and his temptations, his lures, but that we would trust in Christ and stay faithful to Christ. And I pray if there's any here that do not know you as Savior, Father, I pray that today they would see that they are blinded and enslaved to Satan's lies. And I pray, dear God, that they would repent, that they would receive Christ, and they would leave knowing the freedom the hope, the joy, the satisfaction that only Christ can give. In Christ's name, amen.